Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 Welcome to the history of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. Eastern Virginia is called tidewater because the rivers move to the rhythm of the ocean before they finally merge with Chesapeake Bay. The area between the James and York rivers is known simply as the peninsula. And it's here that our story unfolds. The entire peninsula is rich in history. The mouth of the James River aligns directly with the entrance to Chesapeake Bay from the Atlantic Ocean. As Virginia's longest river, the James enabled the early settlers to explore far inland in search of the fabled passage to the wealth of China. Exploration led to settlement, and so the lands along the James River were the first to be colonized. After many years of unsuccessful North American settlements, the English founded the colony of Jamestown in Virginia. Let's explore this vital epoch in American history along with the Nice Try podcast. The Huntington Library in San Marino, California, houses the grand collection of railway magnate Henry Huntington. He loved books. Henry Huntington amassed the core of this library, which now has over 11 million items, including manuscripts, rare books, prints, letters from Abraham Lincoln and Susan B. Anthony. There's a Gutenberg Bible, drafts of Thoreau's Walden, Jack London's White Fang, Octavia Butler, Mark Twain, John Audubon's magnificent work, The Birds of America. And among these volumes is a 1518 edition of Utopia by Thomas More. This is the book that coined the word Utopia. It's about a magical island founded by a general named Utopus. It's governed by rational thought, religious tolerance, communal property, and no class distinctions. I thought maybe Huntington had read this book and decided to found his own utopia here in San Marino. But his historians weren't indulging me. They insisted Huntington was no utopian, that he was a pragmatist, that if you zoom back from the grandeur, you see he and his wife, Arabella, were just doing a very human thing, just trying to make the perfect home for themselves a perfect place, which is a thing we all do. We may not be striving for the ideal society like Utopus when we build our communities and pick out posters and furniture and our books, but Henry Huntington was up there with the Vanderbilts and the Rockefellers and the Carnegies, these men who were able to come to a new land and build it up with trains and ports and dig up oil and manufacture steel. They were titans, building on a long American success story, a story that started in Jamestown. The Huntington Library has the largest collection of artifacts and documents from Jamestown, as in Jamestown, Virginia. It was the first permanent settlement by the British in North America, before the pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock. And unlike Plymouth, Jamestown was not founded by families fleeing religious persecution. These were dudes out to make a buck. So it's 1606. The English would love nothing better than to launch a big program of colonization just like Spain or France. 
King James I of England is watching how the Spanish are just cleaning up in the New World. They seem to be drowning in gold, and the English want a piece of the pie. The problem is they did not have the money because the British government was not headed by an absolute monarch. Absolute monarchies, like Spain, could just decree that funding go to missions to reap piles of gold in the New World. King James of England had no such power. So basically, he had to privatize colonization. He outsourced it to private investors, namely the Virginia Company. The Virginia Company of London labored under the misapprehension, as it turns out, of that America was rich in gold and precious metals. So the Virginia Company thought it was going to get a huge return on its investment. They also labored under the misapprehension that England would get a lot more newly minted Protestants out of this. They sold the venture to investors as a moral crusade. It was not just an exercise in greed. What they wanted to do is to create a plantation. That's a plantation in the sense of a permanent station of English Protestants. And quick before the Catholics get to them! And the English thought Christianity would be an easy sell. They were basing their assumptions on romantic accounts from earlier European visitors. And so the British were like, ah, see, these are basically Roman philosophers just tending to their idyllic fields of crop. We shall sail to them and get along great and trade riches and bring them into the light. So for money and land, and God and country, and really just to get out of crowded, dirty, overpopulated London, the men set sail to this beautiful, organized, perfectly cultivated farmland just waiting for them to make money and to do good while making it, which sounds like the line a lot of modern companies are touting now. Jamestown was, arguably, the seed of the American entrepreneurial spirit, a spirit which would sprout onward in time and westward in place, which means that the story of Jamestown is the beginning of a lot of the grand history in the halls of Huntington Gardens. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ. In a lot of ways, in the popular imagination, the story of Jamestown has been equated with the story of Pocahontas. In the Disney telling of Pocahontas, it's framed as a love story. The strapping John Smith gets off this boat in the New World, falls in love with the native princess Pocahontas in this Romeo and Juliet kind of way, and a kind of peace is made between the English and the local Powhatan tribe. We cling to this love story, even though it's very transparently not true. She was only 10 years old, 9 or 10, when John Smith came to the village. In historical accounts, Pocahontas was kind of the cool neighborhood kid. She was very spunky and friendly and was always doing cartwheels, and everyone in Jamestown was happy to see her. She actually helped John Smith learn Algonquin, or a dialect of Algonquin that the Powhatan spoke. So obviously, John Smith was also a real person. John Smith was extremely significant, historically. If you think about the story of North American history, like the Bible, then George Washington was kind of like the Abraham, and John Smith was the Adam. And here's why. When they got their kind of marching orders to go to Virginia, 
all of the laws, the organization of the society, and the leaders of that society were written down and put in a box. The idea was Jamestown would be run by council, the names in the box, and the council would elect a president who would govern the colony. The box was sealed, and it was only to be open when the ships reached Virginia. Because they didn't want them to argue while they were at sea, and they didn't want any kind of arguments to erupt during the journey. Although clearly some kind of argument erupted at some point, because in 1607, John Smith arrived in Virginia in chains. On the ship, yes, for insubordination. So the ship arrives, and to everyone's surprise, when the men get out and they open the box, they find John Smith's name. This rowdy guy they had to lock up. Smith was the only person named to the council who wasn't of high rank, social or military rank. And the idea that he thought he knew what should be done, I'm sure, was rankled these people. And here's the thing that we like to imagine as so deeply American about John Smith. He was this common guy. And it turned out in time that he was a pretty decent diplomat. He learned Algonquin. He got to know the different tribes. He eventually became president of the colony. What John Smith understood is that in this new venture, that authority was going to be made up of something different. It was going to be made up of experience. It was going to be made up of what you knew, what you could accomplish, how you could learn, who you could manipulate that those were going to be the bases of authority and not anything that came through bloodlines and not anything that came through land and not anything that came through institutions, but things that came through experience. And he was right. In the colony, there were some fancy men of upper classes who were like, Ahem, I told you, I don't work. And John Smith had none of that. John Smith was the one who said, if you don't work, you don't eat. And that was a radical thing to say to the people who were in charge in Jamestown. Although, eventually, even he who worked also did not eat. The Jamestown colonists were military men. They didn't have the skills to actually create a settlement. The council's first letter back to the Virginia Company in late June 1607 reads like a kid writing to their parents from summer camp, trying to sound happy, but actually having a terrible time. In that first letter, the leaders praise the land they chose and say they have a good store of wheat, but sign off, your poor friends. Eventually, those stores ran out. The work itself slowly transitioned to begging for food. Not growing it or hunting for it, begging for it. Because they never had plans to grow their own food. They really thought that Native Americans would give them food. There's a very famous line from a historian, Edmund Morgan, who writes about this, who says, that is not what you came to Virginia for. He says, you still didn't get around to planting too much corn. The men of Jamestown had a mix of vulnerability, starvation, and arrogance. A truly toxic combination. And these colonizers are getting hungrier and hungrier, and drought comes, and winter comes. They're constantly sending boats, first up the James River and then up to the Potomac, constantly looking, searching, looking for food. And in one case, Captain John Smith says that as they forced this Native group to give them food, and as they pulled away, they saw the women and children on the riverbank weeping because food was so short for them because of the disastrous drought. Doctors endorse it, nutritionists recommend it, and customers love it. Calotrin Healthy Weight Loss. Ron in Texas lost 35 pounds. 
Marie in Pennsylvania lost 117 pounds with Calotrin. Diane not only lost weight, but she also found relief from arthritis. Lynn lost over 45 pounds. Calotrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body, which decreases as we age. Taking Calotrin promotes better sleep, more energy, less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. Calotrin has an amazing 86% success rate with their 90-day supply. And this week, take advantage of their President's Day sale. Buy the 90-day supply and get an extra month free plus free shipping. Ordering is so easy. Just text the word HISTORY to the code 30605 and we'll send you a link to this special offer. Again, text HISTORY, that's H-I-S-T-O-R-Y, using the code 30605. Next time, we continue our expose on the colony of Jamestown. Check out the YouTube version of this episode, which has accompanying images. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you're enjoying the ride.